Well, Will, uh, I'm not exactly sure what you mean. We've already offered you a position. Nobody in this town works without a retainer, guys. You think you can find somebody who does, we tell you you have my blessing. But I think we all know that person's not going to represent you as well as I can. Will, our offer is $84,000 a retainer. year. Retainer. Retainer. You want us to give you cash right now? Whoa. <laughs> now, I didn't say that. Allegedly, your situation for you would be concurrently improved if I had $200 in my back pocket right now. Well, I don't think I, I can... Uh, uh, Larry? <laughs> I've got uh, $73. Will you take a check? Let me tell you something. You're suspect. Yeah, you. I don't know what your reputation is in this town. You can bet I'll be looking into you. Now, the business we have here too for, you can speak with my aforementioned attorney. Good day, gentlemen. And until that day comes, keep your ear to the grindstone. You don't come around here no more. Don't come around here no more Whatever you're looking for Hey! Don't come around here no more Stop giving up! Stop! Everybody, this is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. I opened up with that scene from the movie Goodwill Hunting, and maybe I should, maybe it should be called Goodwill Hunter. And we'll talk about that in uh, after the in the next uh, in the first half. In the first half, we'll talk about uh, hey, you know, retainer. Your position would be so much better if I had two hundred dollars in my back pocket right now. We'll talk about that in, uh, later in the first half, uh, and it should be uh, Goodwill Hunter Biden. Um, and that song was uh, Don't Come Around Here, Here No More by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and, uh, and that will be uh, kind of the, uh, the, the House Foreign Affairs Committee saying, hey, don't come around here no more to uh, Elon Omar, and we'll talk about that in just a few seconds, right after I introduce myself for those of you that don't know me. My name's Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, talk to someone who thinks like you. Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get some information about financing, but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet because it's so personal, and you know, or you're at work and you don't want your uh, coworkers to know your stuff, and it's... You don't want to have to be whispering at work. Then go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo. That'll take you to my lending page, and you can uh, uh, start your account, put in your password, put in as much information as you want me to have, tell me how much information you want back. 
You'll hear from myself or one of my talented teammates who will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle, whether that's to uh, purchase a piece of property that you'd like to own or whether you'd like to refinance a piece of property that you already own or whether you'd like to get some information on that reverse mortgage thing that everybody's talking about. For those of you that are over 62 or you have a spouse that's over 62 and you feel like you have more years left than you have money in your bank account, you'd like to make some of your equity stretch and make your uh, lifestyle a little little nicer while you're in uh, retirement. Uh, once again, 855-640-2020 or edhoffman.net. If you uh, have any any part of the show you want repeated or you miss part of it or any week that you couldn't hear it on the radio, uh, stay on edhoffman.net. Go to the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcast, where uh, you can uh, subscribe for free and have it automatically download to your device once a week. So I record on Friday mornings. It'll upload uh, Friday afternoon, and uh, somewhere shortly thereafter, it'll download to your device, your your phone or your iPad or your iPod, your mini pad, your maxi pad, your, your computer, whatever you can listen to uh, podcasts on, and uh, listen to it whenever it's convenient for you. If you have comments on the radio, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net, and I do see every single one of those. So let's talk about Don't Come Around Here No More, Elon Omar's turn. Last week, we saw Kevin McCarthy stand firm on his decision to block Adam Schiff, Adam Shifty Schiff, Adam Steaming Pile of Schiff, and Eric Swalwell, I mean Swalwell, from serving on the House Intelligence Committee. This week was Elon Omar, Nurse Syed Elmi's turn to face the music, as McCarthy led Republicans in blocking her from the House Foreign Affairs Committee, which as of Thursday afternoon was successful. Now, you may be asking, like I did, why did it have to, why do they have to vote on this? Why does McCarthy has, why is it that McCarthy has the power to block Schiff and Swalwell from one committee, but uh, the committee that Omar is on has to, has to vote her out? Uh, the simplest explanation is that it's, it's about the difference between select committees and standing committees, which I won't go into the difference because a bunch of technical mumbo jumbo. The Intelligence Committee is a select committee. And the select committee gives the speaker unilateral authority to block members from serving. But the foreign affairs is a standing committee, and the speaker does not have the power to remove a member from the standing committee. Standing committees require a full house, the full house to ratify membership, which means the majority of the chamber would have to vote to block a member from serving. In other words, only a majority vote by the entire house could remove Elon Omar from serving on this committee. And thankfully for for once, the Republicans stood together and and booted her out. Wish they could boot her out of Congress, but they couldn't do that. So they boot her out of uh, boot her out of the uh, of the Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, it ended up with a full House vote to remove her from Foreign Affairs on Thursday, 218 to 211 party line vote, with one Republican voting present. David Joyce of Ohio, who also voted present to expel. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar from their committees a couple years ago. At least he's consistent, consistently spineless. You know, when you're when you're in the in the house, when you're in the house and you vote, you vote present. That means eh, I don't want to take a stand. You know, I think that's what politics is about. I think that's what representation is about. We vote for the people that are going to represent how we feel. They're going to represent our best interests. So when you go to Congress. You go to Congress and then you vote present. Say, hey, you know what? I don't have an opinion. I don't have an opinion. I don't have a position. I just want to. I just want everybody to like me. 
So, David Joyce of Ohio, you have my utmost disrespect. So, uh, but this whole thing started with the Rules Committee vote on Tuesday, Tuesday night to send a resolution to the House floor that would that would remove her from the committee. It called for Omar's removal based on her infamous anti-Semitic tweet from February 2019. Here's a snippet of the resolution. Whereas on February 10th, 2019, Representative Elon Omar Nur Saeed Elmi, I put the Nur Saeed Elmi in there, uh, suggested that Jewish people and the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, also known as APAC, were buying political support, saying, it's all about the Benjamins, baby, lending to condemnation from Republicans and Democrats alike for her use of anti-Semitic trope. We all remember that tweet, but that's not the only anti-Semitic thing Omar has said in the last few years. On this week's CNN State of the Union, Dana Bash reminded Omar of her many offensive comments while serving in Congress. Well, let me ask you, uh, Congresswoman Omar, about what Republicans are, are saying about you, that there is a pattern of anti-Semitic and other controversial statements that make you unfit to sit on, in your case, the House Foreign Affairs Committee. I'm told that Republicans presented a list in their meeting, in their private meeting this past week, uh, included in that list is that you said that Israel hypnotized the world. You said Israel is an apartheid regime that politicians with pro-Israel stances were all about the Benjamins, that you support the BDS movement, which a lot of people think is rooted in anti-Semitism, compare the U.S. and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban. I want to give you a chance to respond to all of that, which they say is a clear pattern. Yeah, um, I might have uh, used words at the time that I didn't understand were trafficking in uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, when that was brought to my attention, I apologized. I owned up to it. Yeah, really? Is that is that really? Uh, she didn't understand that it was anti-Semitic. She's talking. She's talking crap on uh, Jewish people and Israelis all over the place. And she supports the the BDS movement, which is boycott, divest, and sanction. So let's see. I didn't realize I was being anti-Semitic when I'm saying, "Hey, let's boycott Israel. Let's divest them from the rest of the world, and let's sanction them." Uh, hmm, I didn't realize that was anti-Semitic. Uh, I just don't buy her BS. And anyone can remember what Omar calls 9-11. This is what, what she said at an event for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, in 2019. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Some people did something? Come on, man. Hey, you know what? 19 uh, Muslim terrorists uh, knocked down the World Trade Center, killed 3,000 people, uh, flew, uh, flew a plane with uh, my high school friend Chris Newton on it into the Pentagon, and uh, one more plane that uh, was headed for the Capitol or the White House that crashed in Pennsylvania. Some people did some things. You know, they all happened to be Muslims. They all were anti-American. And uh, it wasn't the first time that they tried to take down the World Trade Center. It wasn't the first time they've uh, attacked America. And some people, you know, it's like, hey, not a, not all Muslims are terrorists, but all terrorists seem to be Muslims. And uh, and of course, uh, I have Muslim friends, and not all Muslims not all Muslims seem to be uh, seem to be anti-American. So, but Elon Omar, Nur Saeed Elmi, she's anti-American. She's anti-Israel. She's anti-everything. That is America in my eyes. 
Uh, so apparently some of the Jews in Congress have had opportunity to educate Omar on why her comments have been so offensive. So Dana Bash asked her what she learned. And that's when we found out that Elon Omar had no idea there were offensive tropes about Jews and money. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, I just don't buy that either. Um, I wasn't aware um, of, of the fact that there are tropes about Jews and money. Um, that has been a very enlightening uh, part of, of this journey um, to insinuate that I knowingly said these things when people have read into my comments to make it sound as if I have something against the Jewish community is so wrong. Really? Really? Why would anybody think that, that she's got anything against the Jewish community? You know, as a, as a kid who grew up in a Jewish family, um, I can remember. I can remember all these all these uh, jokes about money. One one that I remember the most is, "Hey, you know why Jews have big noses? Because air is free." So, what else comes to mind is a scene from a movie called School Ties. But you didn't hear the joke. All right. Well, let's hear the joke. True story. Last weekend there was a religious revival at Madison Square Garden. Bishop Fulton Sheen gave such a stirring address that afterwards, ten thousand people converted to Catholicism. <laughs> then Billy Graham got up, and after an hour of inspired preaching, 10,000 people converted to Protestantism. Finally, to end the program, Pat Boone got up, saying there's a gold mine in the sky, and 20,000 Jews joined the Air Force. <laughs> What's the matter, David? Don't the Jews have a sense of humor? Yeah, you know what, uh, and speaking of growing up Jewish, I'll just say, if you haven't seen the movie The Fablemans, uh, which is uh, kind of about the uh, uh, Spielbergs, the Spielbergs, I, I watched it, my wife and I went to the movies and saw it, and and, uh, and I had to send a, a text to both my sisters and say, you know what, uh, watching The Fablemans reminded me so much of our childhood, you know, where, you know, there's, where there's not that many Jewish people in California uh, in the neighborhood, like, Hey, you know, there's, we're going to school and, and there's not that many Jewish people. And, you know, there's, there's a few of us that don't have Christmas trees and Christmas lights. And apparently, uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, experienced the same thing. Um, but on the East coast, the whole, the whole idea of the, the Jews and the money thing is because Jews have all the money because they're, they're smart business people and they're great money managers. And, you know, they control a lot of the business and a lot of the, business over here and so that's where all the uh all the jealousy uh brought up all the all the uh jews and money jokes and of course omar was given plenty of time to accuse republicans of of racism um here she is on wednesday but to smear someone uh and their their character their love for their country and the work that they get to do uh, on a committee is is wrong, uh, and it is politically motivated, uh, and in some cases is motivated by the fact that many of these members don't believe a Muslim, uh, a refugee, an African should even be in Congress, let alone have the opportunity to serve on the Foreign Affairs Committee. You said that before. I mean, it sounds like you're accusing Kevin McCarthy of racism. I mean... I'm not making any accusations. I'm just laying out the facts. You remember Donald Trump coming into my state and saying, Muslims, Somali refugees are infiltrating our country. 
You remember Marjorie Taylor Greene coming to Congress after Rashida and I got sworn in and saying Muslims are infiltrating Congress. You remember Boebert saying that I was a terrorist. What did McCarthy do? He said she apologized and we don't have to worry about her Islamophobia. That never happened. And so these people are okay with Islamophobia. They're okay with trafficking in their own ways, in anti-Semitism. They are not okay with having a Muslim have a voice on that committee. Yeah, I don't know. Why would uh, anybody think that she's a terrorist or or uh, refer to her in that way? Because she's anti-Israel. She's anti-America. She makes excuses for the 9-11 terrorists. She supports Hamas and the Taliban. And uh, how would how would anybody make those kind of comments? How would they anybody get that get that impression? But every time she steps up to the microphone, she says something that offends offends something about our our country, about our culture, and about everything everything that has to do with Israel and and being Jewish. Um, on the House floor Thursday night, we got to have ex- we got to listen to uh, the rest of her members of the squad that be. AOC from New York, Corey Bush from Missouri, and Rashida Tlaib from Michigan. Listen, uh, listen to this, uh, this screaming uh, grandstanding. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single apology when my life was threatened. Thank you. Let me the make gentlewoman's it plain. time is expired. Ilhan Omar is right where she belongs. The gentlewoman's Her time work is expired. Is needed on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Her clarity, conviction, the gentlewoman's and truth. time is expired, and she is no longer recognized. The GOP is now doing what it is best at weaponizing hate against a black, beautiful Muslim woman. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Will not be silenced. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar, the gentlewoman's so time sorry, has expired. That our country is failing you today through this chamber. You the, belong The gentlewoman is no longer recognized. I'm sorry, sis. To Congresswoman Omar. Yeah, can you imagine if the if the guys in Congress said, "Sorry, bro, dude, what's going on, man? This this isn't fair, man." You know, it's uh. It's just it's just a bunch of grandstanding crap. I think uh, what the GOP is not uh, weaponizing hatred. They're doing what we all think is the right thing because anti-American people shouldn't be leading America. But that's my opinion. I could be wrong. I'm not, but I could be. So let's talk about this week's document developments. In this week's installment of the Biden classified document saga, they finally searched the beach house. According to Biden's lawyer, Bob Bauer, the FBI search of Biden's vacation home in Rehoboth, Delaware, was a planned search that shows how cooperative the president is being. So nothing to see here. Today, uh, in a planned uh, consensual search with the Justice Department, they went through the Rehoboth uh, Beach House uh, and no classified uh, marked documents were found. Um, This is consistent, I think, with the president from the very beginning of having total cooperation with the Justice Department as it goes through this ongoing investigation. We've been pretty transparent from the very beginning with providing information as it uh, occurs throughout this uh, process. You know, we have released probably thousands of words of statements from the president's personal attorney and the White House counsel's office about the process that has been undertaken here. 
Yeah, we've re- we've uh, released thousands of words from the from the president's personal attorney. And you know what? If he got arrested for breaking the law, we'd be we would be fully cooperative. Of course, he'd be in jail. Um, and so, hey, we'd be completely cooperative. We've been in our cell when we're supposed to. We come out and go into the go into the playground and have recess when we're supposed to. When asked about this week's search, Kareem Jean-Pierre stuck to the same answer as the last two weeks. And we're hearing now on week week three of hearing these thousands of words about the uh, White House counsel. Was the White House aware before this afternoon that classified documents had been found at Vice President Pence's residence as well? I would refer you to the White House counsel's office. Do you know if he has been briefed on the Pence matter? And has he had any outreach with former President Obama since some of the documents would have been from their joint administration? You know, uh, those two questions I would refer you to the White House counsel's office. Thanks, Green. After a special counsel was named, but before the FBI searched, President Biden went to his house in Wilmington. What was he doing in there? I would refer you to the White House counsel. So it was something relating to this case? I would refer you to the White House counsel's office. Do you think that this story was leaked by someone trying to bruise the president politically ahead of a re-election announcement? I would refer you to the White House counsel's office as they've been the ones who've been closely involved. Now that we're seeing the two most recent vice presidents discover classified documents in their private homes, does this suggest that there's a larger problem within the government where classified documents are not where they're supposed to be? Do a lot of people have documents outside of where they're properly supposed to be stored? I'm not going to comment from, from here on that. I would refer you to the White House counsel and any anything related to classified documents from here. Green, what is the current number of documents bearing classified markings that have been found in the president's residences and offices? I would refer you to the White House counsel's office. We know the president did it. Why did he do it? I would refer you to the White House counsel's office. Meanwhile, there's more from the Hunter Biden hellscape this week. It's a June 2011 email from Hunter to the American aluminum company Alcoa offering to sell them intelligence on Russian oligarchs. Once again, Hunter is talking like an expert in an email that sounds like he has classified information, because he probably did, thanks to Papa Joe bringing those documents home. Hunter makes a couple of business propositions in this email. To provide Alcoa with statistical analysis of political and corporate risk, elite networks associated with Oleg Deripaska, the Russian CEO of Basic Element Company, and United Company Rusal, which had just signed a metal agreement with Alcoa, who is otherwise their competitor, and to provide a list of elites of similar rank in Russia and a map of Deripaska's networks based on frequency of interaction and selected elites and countries, Hunter's price for this information came in a proposal he attached to the email, 25000 for phase one of the project and $55,000 for refined analysis. Reminds me of uh, our opening clip, Retainer! I need 25000 up front and another 55000 to give you the rest of the information. In a reply, an Alcoa employee wrote back, I don't believe the data analysis is worth a full 55000 I think the most valuable piece for us would be the list of Russian elites connected to Deripaska, the oligarch, that would not otherwise be on our government affairs team's radar. Having received that feedback, Hunter's Rosemont Seneca company then changed the proposal to sell Alcoa their list of Russian oligarchs for $25,000. In the email, it's clear Alcoa employee knows who she's talking to. She writes, quote, Rosemont Seneca has co-chairman Hunter Biden, son of Joe Biden, and Christopher Hines, stepson of John Kerry. So she knows damn well she's talking to someone with inside information. 
And while we won't go into the juicy details emerging on Hunter's paying his assistant under the table for sexual favors, it's very juicy, folks. Not safe for radio, and that's another story to come out of the laptop this week. If you want to know more, check it out on the New York Post. But we know now his unnamed assistant was one of four women on Hunter's payroll he was having sex with, along with his sister-in-law, Haley Biden, her sister, Liz Secundi, and Hunter's baby mama, London Roberts. In addition, Hunter's money transfers to these women were included in a suspicious activity report filed with the Treasury Department by J.P. Morgan Chase. Not only was the money he sent to these women in the report, but also the money he sent to people with ties to human trafficking or the adult entertainment industry, like maybe, I don't know, Jeffrey Epstein. So with the money he made selling access to his dad and classified information, Hunter Biden was paying for sex with lots of women, some of whom were quite possibly sex trafficking victims. You know, little kids, kidnapped people, little girls. And of course, you know, realize Biden's got two two uh, two kids now that are hypersexualized because... Uh, as his daughter writes in her diary because of have, taking showers with dad when she was a kid. Uh, you know, what is this thing? What is this thing that is inhabiting the White House that the Democrats install? Hey, I'm all out of time for this half of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, sports, and commercials, and we'll be back with lots, lots more. Part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about mortgages and real estate financing on the radio. Um, but you know what? If you're in the market for it and you want to talk to someone who thinks like you to get you some advice, whether uh, whether you should consider uh, buying a piece of property you'd like to own, whether that's California or in another state, or whether you'd like to uh, refinance a piece of property that you own already uh, that's in California or another state, or whether you'd like to... Uh, Check out that that great financing tool called a reverse mortgage for people over 62. Uh, I had somebody call in call in this week say, "Hey, uh, is is there a problem? I thought you said there's there's a problem if you're selling a house and want to move to another state." I said, "No, no, 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 no. There's no problem. I I'm uh, I know that there's tons of people that are doing it, and uh, and I want to let everybody know that I can help them out. And uh, uh, this particular lady that I talked to." Uh, was wasn't sure where she's going, but she's thinking. I said, "Hey, you know, here's where here's where the red states that most people are going to: Arizona, Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Uh, you know, there's still there's a, a bunch that are going to to Idaho and Montana as well, but the majority of the people in California seem to want to stay in kind of that same climate zone, uh, even though it gets uh, more uh, it gets a little hotter in Arizona and a little bit more humid in Texas and Florida." But that's where people seem to be going. But if you're uh, if you're thinking about that, call me and I'll help you out. I'll help you out. And there's a uh, and and as I explained to her, there's there's no absolute way you do it. There's no absolute way you do it. You you can you can buy the house in the new place, then sell your house. You can you can buy the you can sell the house and move to the the new place. You can do reverse mortgages to purchase. You can do uh, bridge loans to get you the money so you can pay cash that get paid off when the house is sold. 
If you're trying to do something and you want someone who has a little imagination on how to make it happen, call me, 855-640-2020 or edhoffman.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo. So in the first half, we talked about uh, Don't Come Around Here No More, Elon Omar, and we talked about the uh, the – the the document the documents and the Hunter Biden stuff. So in the uh, in part two, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on what's going on with the 2024 election, despite classified document scandal and his son's obvious involvement uh, in it, getting more embarrassing every week. Joe Biden appears to be running for re-election next year. Tuesday is the State of the Union, and we expect he's going to make that announcement either at the State of the Union or just after. So now it's time to take temperature of prominent Democrats who may or may not support another Biden-Harris ticket. This week, it was Senator Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas. Liz told a Boston radio station that Biden should run again. But she sounded a little more ambivalent about Kamala. Gee, I wonder why. He should run again. Why? And he is running again. Because he has gotten a tremendous amount done. Should Kamala Harris be the, his choice the second time around? You know, I, I really want to defer to what makes Biden comfortable on his team. But they need, they have to be a team. And my sense is they are. I don't mean that by suggesting I think there are any problems. I think they are. Yeah, does it sound sincere? My sense is that they are a team. Uh, it sounds a little butt kissy to me. And it sounds like uh, she's uh, using innuendo. She's saying one thing, but meaning another. Hey, you know what? I sense that they are, but maybe. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Maybe he should pick me. So then when he when he passes, then I can just step into being the first woman president instead of Kamala Harris. Amazing. Simply amazing. Meanwhile, the Republican side, everyone from Mike Pompeo to Ron DeSantis is rumored to be considering a run. And reportedly, the former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley to South Carolina Senator Tim Scott are both gearing up to make an announcement in the coming weeks. Of course, uh, Nikki Haley's been making an announcement that she's going to make an announcement just about every day this week. And, of course, I got a text right before I started recording saying, hey, I'm going to make an announcement in 12 days. Send me money. I just don't think, I just don't think uh, Nikki Haley's going to be our next president. I don't think, uh, you know, I heard her talk and say, say, hey, I've never lost an election, so if I do it, I'm going to win. And uh, I just don't think she's that. I like Nikki Haley, but I don't think she's our next president. I don't think we're ready. I honestly don't think we're ready to have a woman president yet. And although Ron DeSantis is doing a great job as governor, I just don't, you know, I don't think this is, I don't think that's the, the next step. Um, here's another senator from South Carolina, Lindsey Graham. And, and I'll say that I'm not a big... Lindsey Graham fan. I met Lindsey Graham on a plane one time. Uh, I got a picture with him. I didn't. I didn't post it very much. I mean, I might have. I might have posted it somewhere, but you know, I didn't say, "Hey, look who I, I met on the plane." I'm not a big fan of his because I. I don't agree that he's. I don't agree with him at least half the time because I think he's wishy-washy. If you remember in the 2016 election. He's running against Trump. He's saying everything he could, could bad about Trump. And then as when he dropped out, he's saying everything he he supported every other candidate, every other candidate and and was against Trump all the way until he got the nomination. I think he was surprised like a lot of people that Trump led so conservatively and 
And I have to say, I agree with what he says right here. I really don't know, but I do know this. We're lucky as a party to have Mike Pompeo, who was a terrific Secretary of State, Nikki Haley, a strong voice in the UN for American First Agenda, my buddy and love Tim Scott, right? We got Mike Pence, maybe the most decent guy to ever serve in the government, all talking about running for president. Here's why I'm with Trump. I know the downside of Trump, but let me tell you about the upside of Trump. There are no Trump policies without Donald Trump. You know why NATO gave $431 billion in defense spending increases? Because they thought that Trump really meant it when he said he was going to pull out. You know why the capital, we moved the embassy of the United States to Jerusalem. Every president before Trump said, I will do it. But then all the smart people said it will create World War III. Trump said, I said I would do it. I would do it. He is responsible for securing the border through his personal will. When he put tariffs on Chinese products, it scared the crap out of Mexico. And they said, yes, we'll be glad to give you 28,000 troops. We'll be glad to keep people in Mexico, because he thought Trump, they thought Trump would put tariffs on Mexican policies. There are no Trump policies without the man, Donald Trump. And to all these people who are very talented, I don't think you could do what he could, what he did. And I want him to have a Another shot. Unfinished business. Yeah, I have to agree 100%. And I don't know, I don't know for sure that Lindsey Graham believes everything he's saying or if he's just saying stuff because he thinks Trump's going to give him a cabinet position or if he's what it, for whatever reason. And if you watch Tucker Carlson, you heard Tucker Carlson uh, uh, fillet him pretty good on his, uh, on, uh, you know, on not. Uh, Trump, but fillet Lindsey Graham on his wishy-washiness, you know, is he, you know, he says one thing one day, says another thing another day, and his, his, uh, the things he supports aren't consistent. Um, but I don't know if, I don't know if Lindsey Graham believes this, but I'm 100% behind these words that Lindsey Graham says. Now, we need to get ready for a real spirited contest. Now, why Trump? Now, you mentioned like DeSantos. If you try to tell me that Ron DeSantos is not a good governor in Florida, I'm not going to listen to you. If you try to tell me Mike Pompeo is not qualified to be president, I'm not going to listen to you because I think he is. I am for Trump, not because of the flaws of anybody else. I'm for Donald Trump because I know what I'm going to get. We need somebody that on day one can get this country back on track, that can secure our border and bring order out of chaos, somebody the Russians and the Chinese fear, somebody that can take the fight to the terrorists. The Abraham Accords, the result of Donald Trump impressing the Arabs and the Israelis, he is the best solution to the problems we face, not because of the flaws of others, but because what I know he can do. And I'm telling your listeners right now, when you hear, I like Trump but, uh, policies, but I'm ready for somebody new, there are no Trump policies without Donald Trump. Yep, I agree. I agree with that. And I don't agree that, hey, there's no Trump policies without Donald Trump. I, I just believe that, hey, you know, the Chinese and the Russians are afraid of him and, uh, and not afraid of him that, you know, they're going to cower down. But they're they but they know when he says something he means it. Um, if Trump gets back in there, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to play politics because he doesn't uh, he won't have a, another opportunity to run for reelection. And I'm not really sure why he wants to wants to be in there now. I'm just glad he does. Um, and remember and remember Obama when he's talking to the the guy in Russia said said Hey, after the election, I can be a lot more flexible. 
you know, that's a fact. When a when a president's in his second term, he does he's done with politics. He doesn't have to run for re-election anymore. He can he can he can do things stronger than than before the uh, than the before than before when he still has an election to to deal with, and that's where Trump will be. And I just think that as bad as our as bad as our country is right now. As bad as as bad in a position as we are, we need someone who will turn it around fast, who will turn it around uh, swift. That isn't going to worry about um, whose feelings get hurt. He's going to, and he'll just, hey, hey, I did this before. I'm going to do it again this time. This time, hopefully, the Republicans stand behind him and support him, so he can finish the wall. He can he can stop the immigration uh, chaos that's going on down there. He can turn back on the energy production. He can uh, put our military back where it, where it needs to be. And uh, you know what? How about those Chinese spy balloons that are floating over the country? You know, it's funny that if somebody would have said something to Trump, hey, there's a Chinese spy balloon. It's it's coming up the Aleutian Islands in Alaska and down the west coast of it's. We're not able to to steer it, but somehow it went went through Alaska, then it came down the west coast of Canada, and then it's going through the northern parts of of the United States, and it's over Montana on uh, on Friday. And uh, you know there happens to be a bunch of uh, military military uh, installations in Montana, and there happens to be a bunch of a bunch of uh, a bunch of, of Chinese purchased farmland in the in the northern part of our country. And uh, they're floating around there, and it's well, you know, it's above uh, uh, commercial air air uh, air traffic, so we don't have to worry about that. And you know, they said something about uh, shooting it down, and the Pentagon advised advised not to. Come on, man! Trump would have said, "Knock that thing out of the sky." Oh wait, we're worried about it. It might fall on somebody. It's a balloon. And you know, in the northern part of the in the northern part of the country, I'll tell you. In Montana, where I own a piece of property, and I'll be broadcasting from there next week. Um, you know, unless you're in Bozeman or Billings, there's really not that. It's not very densely populated, so the chances of of uh, whatever's on that balloon falling and hurting somebody probably not likely. And of course, we have the ability to to probably melt it, melt it in midair, hit it with lasers, and just destroy the whole thing so it it uh, turns into dust. Um, why would we just be watching it? What are the Chinese up to? And I don't know. I don't know about uh, Pompeo, and I don't know about uh, DeSantis, and I don't know about Nikki Haley. But I know Trump wouldn't stand for that. And I like Nikki Haley. I like Mike Pompeo. I like uh, Ron DeSantis. I think Ron DeSantis will be president. I'm just not sure it needs to be in 2024. I think Trump needs to get in there and turn things around, and then hand it off to somebody after. One more, uh, one more round. That's my opinion. I could be wrong, but I'm not. So let's talk about uh, COVID fraud accountability. We all know that five, the five trillion dollar in COVID relief handouts were rife with fraud, and under the new Republican House, Democrats are finally being held accountable for it. On Wednesday, the House Oversight Committee held a hearing titled "Federal Pandemic Spending: A Prescription for Waste, Fraud, and Abuse." This will reportedly be the first of many hearings by the Oversight Committee as they investigate the fraud and mismanagement of six major COVID relief bills passed in the first year of the pandemic. That's right, six. Uh, I think we all lost count. Remember, the first one was March 6th, 
$8.3 billion Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act. Followed by 12 days later, March 18, 2020, the $129 billion Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Followed 11 days after that, the $2 trillion Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. Followed by my favorite, uh, one month later, April 24, 2020, the $483 billion Paycheck Protection Program, which basically said, hey, if you're in business, if you're a corporation, if you aren't a corporation, but you can say you're in business, if you know how to fill out a, a form fraudulently, we're going to give you some free money. And the only requirements are going to be you pay your employees for, for the next five months. And, of course, uh, that was followed by number five, December of 2020, the $868 billion Consolidated Appropriations Act, and finally, March 11, 2021, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. In his opening remarks, Chairman James Comer of Kentucky revealed that the committee believes $5.4 billion in COVID relief went to fraudulent applicants who could not have been eligible. He blames this on a total lack of oversight. Unfortunately, Democrats conducted little oversight of the over $2 trillion spent under the CARES Act. They did the exact opposite. They spent another $2 trillion, but this time with absolutely no protections or guardrails to prevent waste. We've seen reports that between $163 to $400 billion in unemployment insurance benefits were paid out improperly. We've seen reports that between $76 to more than $100 billion in Paycheck Protection Program and Economic Injury and Disaster Loan Programs were lost to improper payments. We've seen reports that $266 billion in improper payments were made by Medicaid during the pandemic. And worse, they spent this money when there was no sign that it was actually needed. We owe it to the American people to get to the bottom of the greatest theft of American taxpayer dollars in history. Yeah, remember, uh, remember all these things that they were coming out with and and a lot of it came out in Trump's last year in office and they're going to blame it on the Trump's on the Trump administration but remember who holds the 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 power of the purse is the is Congress and that was the Democrats and of course while Trump kept saying hey the cure can't be worse than the disease we have to get our economy back going we have to get our economy back going we have to stay strong um all the grandstanders and all the mainstream media is saying, hey, people are dying. People are dying out there. And this has to happen right now. We don't have time to, re- to read it. We don't have time to debate it. We don't have time to have any oversight on it. We have to just cut these checks and send them out. $600 a week. So if you were on unemployment, hey, your, your company uh, gets shut down because of coronavirus. Remember, you weren't allowed. Hey, you know what? You have to be a... Uh, what they call it, a critical employee, essential employees. That's it, essential employees. Remember, you were supposed to carry a carry a letter from your employer. So if you were out on the streets, the cops were supposed to stop you and and make sure that you had your letter that you were an essential employee and you had to go to work. Remember that, and everybody else got to stay home and get your normal two hundred or four hundred or whatever it is per per uh, per week of unemployment, plus an additional federal unemployment of $600 a week. People people that could work wanted to be unemployed because no matter for what reason you were unemployed, 
you're making more, you're taking home more money for being unemployed than you were for working. And you know, Hey, that couldn't, that couldn't, uh, encourage people to work. How about the, how about the, uh, people that were dying, dying with COVID, but saying they're tired of COVID. And remember the, the Medicare thing was saying, Hey, we're going to pay the hospital an additional $13,000 when someone dies in the hospital, if they list COVID as their, as their, uh, uh, as their, uh, cause of death, COVID. So we're getting all these numbers saying, Hey, all these thousands of people are dying. They're not dying of COVID. They were dying with COVID. And of course, if you had to happen to have been put on a ventilator, then instead of the 13,000, it was 39,000 to the, to the hospital. So would that encourage anybody to fraudulently put, uh, different words on death certificates? For those of you that don't know, when people in uh, people in their in their sixties and seventies get sick, it's more it's more dangerous than when you're in your in your earlier years. And if you looked at the the numbers of COVID, you know there were more people there were there are as many people dying over eighty five as there were people dying under eighty. People, you know, hey, you know what your cause of death is when you're in your eighties? You're in your eighties, and little things, hey, pneumonia. The pneumonia, the flu, just about anything you get is dangerous when you get it into those ages. But we made a big deal of it. Coronavirus is killing all these people. Um, Responding to Comer's opening statement was ranking Democrat on the committee, Jamie Raskin of Maryland. He said that the subcommittee on coronavirus did its due diligence to weed out abuse. Yeah, I have to call BS on that. And that much of the fraud that occurred was the fault of the Trump administration in the first year of COVID. The subcommittee conducted no fewer than seven hearings focused on rooting out fraud in relief programs. In our first week or two of existence, the subcommittee recovered an improper $10 million paycheck protection program loan. Less than three months later, we helped secure the return of $109 million from a nursing home chain that was not using the loan as Congress had specifically intended. In March of 2021, we exposed how the Trump administration's reckless mismanagement of small business relief programs and refusal to implement basic anti-fraud controls led to nearly $84 billion in fraudulent loans. That's as much much BS as listening to to Biden on Friday morning talking about how, how he created 12 million jobs since he came into office. Really? Really, hey, you create the unemployment rate went down. Hey, all these new jobs that got created, most of them are second and third jobs for people that are already working, adding second and third jobs because they can't afford to 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 heat their heat their uh, houses, put gas in their cars so they can get to work or buy groceries on one job anymore because the inflation is so high. And uh, just while we're talking about that, before I continue on this coronavirus stuff, anybody get their uh, their gas bill this month? Uh, a friend of mine sent me his bill. Send me his bill. He said, hey, look at my bill. I'm over $1,000 for natural gas this month. And I go, so are you heating up your jacuzzi or is that just heating your house? He goes, just heating my house. I said, well, your house is bigger than mine. Mine was like 951 You know what? How do people afford this stuff? I'm okay, but how are people affording this stuff? People that, you know, that make uh, uh, $15 an hour. Well, that doesn't mean we should raise everybody's raise everybody's uh uh, minimum wage so they make more money because that just makes the prices go up. That means we should do something about producing more natural gas and producing more oil in this country. 
So let's look at why some of this fraud happened on Trump administration's watch. Maybe it was because they were pushed to pass bills overnight, one after the other, because it was an urgent public health emergency. Republicans couldn't pass these bills fast enough. Remember all this? Well, I'm very proud of the work that we've done. On March 4th, we passed our first bill, which was about testing, 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 uh, and research for a cure and a vaccine and so many other things. Delivering emergency COVID relief. We want to work with our Republican colleagues to advance this legislation in a bipartisan way, but the work must move forward. On the 14th, we passed another bill addressing the needs for masks and all of that. On the 28th of March, the president signed the CARES Act, which which is the two, nearly two tri- uh, over $2 trillion bill uh, to meet the needs of the American people. And we tell the American people, help is on the way. When Democrats assume the majority in this chamber, we promised to pass legislation to rescue our people from the depths of the pandemic and bring our economy and our country roaring back. We are going to deliver on that promise. I want this very much now, because people need help now. PPP lasted eight weeks. When it was passed, we thought COVID would be gone in eight weeks. Clearly, it's not. So we need to extend this program. We're talking about the consequences of a pandemic, that the symptoms of a problem that the president refuses to address. But you know and that is, and that is the coronavirus. We know that we, is we the know coronavirus. The, the Yeah, help is on the way. Help isn't on the way. Money's on the way. They didn't do anything to help us. They did stuff to to shut us down. And it was all about mass, 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 followed by testing, testing, testing. Don't forget science, science, science. Ventilators, ventilators, ventilators. And finally, vaccinations, 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 which now we're seeing is turning into cardiac arrest, cardiac arrest, cardiac arrest. Hey, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. So keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Keep your brains clicked on. Don't listen to the stuff on the media without using your using your own logically thinking brain to uh, to make it all make sense. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event. I'll be back again with you next week. <laughs>